If uh, Jesus has changed your life, will you give him a round of applause this morning? He's so good. So good. Good morning, church. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. We've had an exciting weekend around Holland Chapel. Pastor Grant uh, shared with you a little bit about Reality Weekend, the Lyft Tour uh, weekend. It's always been a big deal uh, here at Holland Chapel. And here's what I want you to do. If you're on the lower level and you have, excuse me, a vantage point of the balcony, I want you to turn around and look at the kiddos or students. Give them a round of applause, would you, church? I thought about having them do something. And I thought I'll never get the room back if I do that. But adults, uh, you behave right. Uh, it's been a great weekend for them. Had the privilege of joining a worship service with them last night. Uh, I got to see um, really an incredible sight. Several hundred students from all over the county worshiping Jesus. Church, does that warm your heart knowing that kids, students are worshiping Jesus? It does mine. Jesus saves and He moves throughout the generations. And He's moving in this generation and I'm thankful for them. About a month or so ago, we were looking at the schedule, uh, how today was going to go. I said, hey, Pastor Grant, man, you got, you, got a busy, you got a busy weekend. I do not want you to feel the pressure to preach. So let, me, let me take that one for you. But I want to I make sure that we're somewhat on the same theme as what the students are dealing with. So he sends me a text message from the Lyft tour, what they are going to be discussing. And their, their main word for the weekend was inverse. So they were taking some stories of Jesus um, and they were saying, hey, oftentimes Jesus teaches something that's uh, it's very simple and, and it's wonderful and it's heartwarming. That's awesome. But at the same time, Jesus may teach something that's very complex, that's very difficult to understand, that may be a head scratcher. So they looked at the, the stories of Jesus. They looked at a lot of the teachings of Jesus and kind of stood the teachings of Jesus up on its head. And I was thankful for that. So when I read that text, I, I thought, man, we've we've got to talk about something today. It's been on my heart, it's been on my mind for a while. Something that I'm, I'm seeing in Christian culture is that maybe, just maybe, we have an incomplete view of who Jesus is. Maybe, just maybe, uh, the Jesus that we're framing up for ourselves in our own minds is not a biblical Jesus. So if we do that, church... If we're framing up in our minds a concept of Jesus that's not biblical and we're told to share Jesus, then the Jesus that we're sharing in our mind is not Jesus. That the gospel that we're sharing is not the gospel at all. And listen, if we are sharing an incomplete gospel, church, hear me out. If we're sharing an incomplete gospel, we're not sharing the gospel at all. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at this thought. Do, do we know Jesus? Do we know the gospel? I want to ask that question to you. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the gospel? Do you know what this book teaches who Jesus really is? Or in our humanity, in our sin nature, have we crafted for ourselves a Jesus that fits our liking? Or is it a biblical Jesus? You see, here's where uh, I want to uh, cause a little conflict this morning. I'm going to present to you today that a biblical Jesus 
may be offensive. That the Jesus we see in the Bible is an offensive Jesus. That the gospel that he preached was a gospel that's offensive. Do you believe that, church? The message of Christ is one that is offensive. Oh, but we love Jesus, don't we? We love all the stories about Jesus, don't we? Don't you love looking at the Gospels? Don't you love the story of the father who brings his daughter to Jesus who's demon-possessed and he heals the daughter? Aren't you thankful for that story? What about the story when, when Jesus shows up to this, uh, to this party and uh, there was only water there and Jesus turns water into wine? Aren't you thankful for that incredible miracle showing uh, the, the mighty hand of God? Aren't you thankful for the story that Jesus shows up and He takes a little boy's snack and He turns it into a meal that feeds 5,000 people? Aren't you thankful for that story of Jesus, church? Or aren't you thankful for the story of the leper, the man who was ridden with leprosy and He comes to Jesus and He kneels down in front of Jesus and He says, he says Lord, if You're willing, will You heal me? And what does Scripture say? Jesus reached out and touched Him. Aren't you thankful for that story, church? Aren't you thankful for the Jesus that's so righteous and so holy that he, that he walks into the temple and they were, they were disgracing the temple of God, using it for things other than worship, and Jesus flipped over tables. Aren't you thankful for that Jesus? But at the very same time, this Jesus was the Jesus that said, let the little children come to me. What a fascinating man Jesus is. Do you know him? Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? Do you know what the Bible says about the Gospel? Here's where we're at. In our zeal, in our enthusiasm, in our excitement to share the Gospel, to present Jesus to this world, and to make Him somehow palatable for a lost world, we've maybe mistakenly taken the, the real story of Jesus and we've twisted it in hopes that we can present Him in such a way that's not offensive. You see, all the stories that I just went over, those, those are wonderful stories. And those are stories we should share with people. That Jesus heals, that Jesus forgives, that Jesus works in miracles. Of course we share those with people, don't we? Of course we do. But you see, all those stories make it, make it real easy for us to write screenplays and, 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 and write TV shows that then draw people in. But when we, when we only share that side of Jesus, we're, we're sharing an incomplete gospel. We're not sharing the full gospel of Jesus. And we need to make sure that as children of God this morning, we have a full comprehension of the gospel and who Jesus is. That way, church, we can present the complete gospel of Jesus. We need to make sure as children of God that we present Him as He really is. But listen to me. Please don't hear me this morning and, and, and think that I don't believe that Jesus is all loving and all gracious and all kind. Of course I do. Of course I believe that about Him. But in the very same vein, He's righteous and holy. Do you believe that, church? That's the full gospel of Jesus. And because He loves you so very much, 
He wants to change you. He wants to change you. So let's look and see how his ministry began, right? We hear all of those wonderful stories, and we should share them. But maybe this, the beginning part of the story of Jesus, we leave out. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We don't like that verse, do we, church? We don't like to present that message to a lost and dying world. We don't like to portray Jesus in that light. We jump to the miracles. We jump to the grace. We jump to the forgiveness. But, but we forget that Jesus began His ministry. Look at the Gospels. See how His ministry began. This was the first message that Jesus preached. He says, repent of your sins, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's near. Repent. Turn to God. This is the message of the Gospel. That's offensive, isn't it, church? That's offensive. And perhaps that's the aspect of Jesus that we leave out because we present Him in such a way that we are fooling people. So many people want the benefits of Jesus, but they don't want Jesus. Last night, we were at uh, the door, and the speaker said it this way. So many people want to be fans of Jesus, but they don't want to be followers of Jesus. They only want the benefits. We're going to talk more about this later, but they don't want Him. The only what He can do for them. But they don't want to be changed by Jesus. They want their life to look different. They just want the benefits of Jesus. They want the love aspect of Jesus, but they don't want the correction aspect of Jesus. They want the grace aspect of Jesus, but they don't want the truth aspect of Jesus. They want to be accepted by Jesus, but they don't want to be changed by Jesus. They want part of the gospel. But listen to me. Jesus is altogether wonderful and good, but should be wholly revered and feared because of His righteousness and His holiness. That's Jesus. Make no mistake, child of God, the gospel message is offensive. Jesus' life was offensive. Do you like to be offended? Nobody does. Guess what? I'm offended all the time. You know why? I have a kindergartner that lives in my house. Kindergartners are naturally offensive people. That's just who they are. I got a little sour patch. Man, she can just, she can just compliment you, make you feel so wonderful. Daddy, I love... I love your outfit. I'm like, it's not really an outfit, but thank you. I appreciate it. I, I really do. I thank you, sweetheart. But then the very next minute, I'll, I'll walk in front of some natural light and she'll go, Dad, your hair turned all gray. Thank you, sweetheart. This one really just lifted my spirits. I picked her up one day and I was holding her and she goes, Dad, your, your belly acts like a shelf for me to sit on. So now I run every morning. 
I get offended all the time. Thanks, kindergartners. Listen to me. You cannot encounter Jesus without being offended. It cannot happen. You cannot share the gospel of Jesus without being offensive. It's impossible. Now listen, does that mean us that carry the gospel roll around trying to be brash and harsh with the gospel? Absolutely not. Scripture says if you walk around without love, you're nothing but a clanging symbol. It tells us to present the gospel in a loving way. But the gospel is offensive. It's an offensive message. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the gospel being offensive? But listen to me. Those who truly love Him, those that are truly changed by Him, are okay with the offensiveness of the gospel. Because they know by it's an offensive nature is the only way that we're saved. They understand this aspect. Matthew 11, verse 6, out of the English Standard, reads this. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is saying this. What do you mean, pastor? We just looked and, and talked all about the gospel being offensive. Jesus knew that he was offensive. Jesus knew that his life, that his ministry, what he stood for was an offense to lost people. He, he knew this. He knew that his life was going to offend people. We read on the scripture today that they rejected him. He knew that he was an offensive person. He knew that his message was an offense to those that would never believe. In this very moment, what we're seeing in scripture is that John the Baptist was locked in prison, and he was hearing about what Jesus was doing, and he was like, man, I'm, I'm not real sure. I'm not real sure that this is actually Jesus. And so he sends Jesus a letter, and Jesus is like, okay, um, I, I'm really him. And so he sends a message back to John the Baptist, and this is what he writes. Blessed are those that are not offended by me. You, you see, in this moment, John the Baptist wanted Jesus to, to fit into his time frame, into his perception of who Jesus was. And Jesus is like, I'm not, I'm not going to fit what you think I ought to do. I'm not going to be the one that you think I ought to be. I, I'm, I'm different. And for John, he couldn't believe it. So Jesus wrote back and said, Blessed are those that are not offended by me. Those that believe the gospel, truly believe in the gospel, are okay with the offense of the gospel. Because it's the only way that man is saved. So what I want to do this morning is examine the gospel and wrestle with why we struggle so badly to present a full and complete gospel of Jesus. You heard me say it before, to, to profess, to proclaim an incomplete gospel is to present no gospel at all. Paul speaks of this in Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at 6 through 10. He says, I am shocked. That you are turning away so soon from God. Who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us 
or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Did you hear the words of the Apostle Paul? We are told, not only told, but commanded to preach, profess, believe the true gospel. Anything less is heresy, is what scriptures say. Paul says, let us, let any man, let an angel of heaven be cursed if they preach any other gospel than the one that you've heard, which is Christ and Him crucified. Let them be cursed. We are told, church, commanded, implored, to lift high the name of Jesus, the full and complete gospel of Christ. I do not want to be found guilty one day standing in front of my Lord and Savior and Him say, Luke, what in the world were you preaching? Do you feel the same? We must have a full and complete understanding of who Jesus is and His gospel. Our goal when we present the gospel is not to present it in a way that the person that we're presenting it to approves of. We present it in such a way that that person can have a real encounter with Jesus. A real encounter with the real Jesus. And I'm going to add this. Some in this very room this morning may need to have a real encounter with the real Jesus. Jesus. But let's look at why we may struggle with an offensive gospel. This is not an exhaustive list. This is some things that I've written down that we get from Scripture as to why the gospel may be so offensive. As to why the gospel, uh, we may struggle with presenting the gospel in its, an entire, in its entirety. Because we, we've all agreed, like, we don't want to be offensive and we don't want to be offended. But the gospel, by its very nature, is an offensive gospel. The first thing I want you to write down is that the full gospel reveals our sin. The full gospel of Jesus reveals our sin nature. No one, well at least no one that I've ever shared the gospel with, wants to hear how terrible they are. Do you want to hear how terrible you are? That's what the gospel does. When we have a real, true encounter with the gospel, it reveals the sin in our life. The, the full gospel reveals our sinful nature. The full gospel goes to the, to the root of our heart and shows us how, how dark, how desperate we are for a sinner. The depths of our sinful nature. That's what the gospel does. And by that fact and that fact alone, it's an offensive gospel. Because it says, Luke... You're a sinner. Yeah, that hurts, doesn't it? Do we present that side of the gospel? Do we present how Jesus started his ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The gospel reveals our sin. And that hurts. 
One of the more famous stories in Scripture that people like to use to twist who Jesus is and how He deals with sin is the woman caught in adultery. Do you remember, do you remember that story? A woman's caught in adultery. She's caught in sin. And she's dragged to the town square. And these religious elites, I'm going to talk about them in a minute, are wanting to have this woman stoned. But here comes Jesus. Jesus comes to the woman caught in adultery. And He loves her. Jesus comes to the woman caught in adultery and He loves on her. He gives her a hug. He forgives her. He shows her grace. He shows her kindness. He shows her mercy. He shows her forgiveness. Aren't you thankful for that Jesus, church? That's what He shows to this woman. Not only does He do all that for her, but He stands in her defense. He looks at these religious elites, those that think they have their act together. We're going to talk about them in a minute. And He says, if any of you are without sin, go ahead, toss the first stone. What do they do? They back down in a hurry, don't they? That's my Savior. That's my Jesus. He's going to love you. He's going to show grace to you. He's going to show kindness to you. He's going to show mercy to you. He's going to stand in your defense. But so many times, that's the only way we portray Jesus. But that's not all that Jesus did. John chapter 8. 10 through 11 says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Can we just praise God for that? That's a good Jesus, church. That's a loving Jesus. That's a kind Jesus. That's a merciful Jesus. Oh, that's a good Jesus. But remember, in the very same vein, He's righteous and He's holy. So He's not done with the woman yet. What does He say to her? Go and sin no more. In the middle of her most shameful, disgusting, guilt-ridden moment, being dragged to the middle of the town square, can you imagine? Jesus wrapped His arms around her and said, I love you. I don't condemn you. I forgive you. I love you so much, I'm going to run your accusers away. But at the very same time, go and sin no more. You see, when we have a real encounter with Jesus, it brings our sins to the surface. When we have a real encounter with Jesus, we're made known of our sinful nature. We're made known of our sinful life. And yes, He'll love you. Yes, He'll forgive you. But He says, go and sin no more. That's Jesus. When we encounter Jesus and His kindness, we are made well aware of our sin. Can you remember that moment? Romans 2, verse 4. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Aren't you thankful for that God? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? 
God is patient with you. God, God is loving towards you. God is accepting of you. Why? To turn you from your sin, not to coddle you in your sin. The gospel changes us. The gospel reveals our sinful nature. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. His kindness draws out our sinful nature. Are you okay with that, church? It's loving, yet offensive. Are you good with that? Are you good with believing that? And are you good with professing that? The second thing I want you to write down is that the gospel reveals that religion doesn't save. Here's where we're going to talk about the religious people. We address the sinners. That's an easy one, right? But what about the legalist? What about those that have it all figured out or think they do? What about those people? You see, the gospel is offensive because it says it doesn't matter what you try to do to earn your reward. It'll never be enough. So many people think if I follow a system, if I follow religion, if I check off all these boxes, if I do everything that I'm supposed to do, then somehow I'll earn God's favor. That's not the gospel. Religion does not save you. But Luke, we're Baptist. We're Baptist in here, man. Don't you understand? Like we, we know. I believe Baptist doctrine, sure. But it's not what the sign says out front that will get you into heaven. At all. It's not measuring up to some religious standard that will get you into heaven. But Luke, my friend, he's a such and such. Um, you know, he doesn't believe in Jesus, but man, they, they have a pretty good system like it seems to be working for him. No, it does not. Religion does not save. Following a set of rules does not save. Perfect attendance does not save. Going to every Bible study ever offered does not save. Only Jesus. Religion does not save you. And those in here that, that are placing too much stock on their religion and not the Savior are offended by that. They're offended by that. This very fact broke Paul's heart. He writes in Romans 10, 1 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing, do you hear it in his heart? The longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Who's he talking about? The Jewish people. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is a misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with Himself. Refusing. You see, they refuse to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law religion. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in Him are made right with God. You, you, you see, Paul is writing about the Jewish people. If there was ever a group of people in the Bible that had religion figured out, it was the Jews. 
Like they knew the Old Testament. They knew the law. They, they knew the legal system of what they should be doing to hopefully earn favor with God. But what, what Paul says, he says, they're refusing the method in which God sent for salvation, which is Jesus. They're depending on their religion and not Jesus. So it offended the Jews. They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't understand it. Ephesians Chapter 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Salvation is not a reward for being a good Baptist. Salvation is not a reward for keeping all the religious aspects. Religion or salvation is not a reward for being a good person. None of us can boast about it. It is from God and God alone in Christ that you are saved. Not religion. The gospel is offensive because it tells all the religious folk out there that their efforts to follow the law and be good won't earn them a thing but hell. That's offensive. But, 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 but I'm a good person, preacher. I do what I'm supposed to do. Good for you. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Salvation comes from Jesus and only Jesus. Which brings us to our third thought. The gospel is offensive because Jesus is the only way. The gospel is offensive to people because there is, in fact, church, only one way to God the Father, and that is through Christ and Christ alone. And that offends our lost and dying culture. They don't want to believe that there is only one way. They want to believe in multiple ways. They want to believe if I'm a good Buddhist, I'll get to heaven. If I'm a good Mormon, I'll get to heaven. If I'm a good this, I'll get to heaven. If I'm a good this, I'll, what? No, Jesus is the only way. And when we profess that message, it offends people. It's an offensive message that there's only one way. But here's how I look at it. I'm grateful that there is only one way and His name is Jesus. I'm thankful that God made one way. He didn't even have to do that, church. But He made a way. Through Christ. And He's the only way. And when we present that, get ready. That's an offense to a lost and dying world. John 14 verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through Me. Ask me why Christians are so passionate about sharing Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only way. But that message is offensive. It's the only message by which men are saved. I want you to go to John chapter 6. Turn there. We're going to read there in just a moment. I want to explain a little bit about what's going on in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus had just performed... Miracles. He had just fed the 5,000. You could imagine this type of miracle, the crowd that that would have drawn. Man, like people would have started chattering, 
Cool things, right? So Jesus performed this miracle, and disciples, followers, people that wanted to be near Jesus and follow after Him, started to gather around Him. You can read this for yourself in John chapter 6, we're, we're paraphrasing. This giant crowd gathered around Jesus, and here's what He says to them. He says, you're only here because you want me to feed you. You've only gathered around me for what I can give you. You're only gathered around me because you're hungry and you need food. You're only only around me for my benefits, not me. He says, you've gathered around me because I feed you, but you're misunderstanding the miracles that I've demonstrated. You don't understand them. So they go on, they have this dialogue with Jesus, and he says some really profound things. He says, if you want bread, like if you want food, come to me. If you come to me, you'll never be hungry again. If you, if you come to me, you'll never be thirsty again. And they take a step back. They're like, well, um, where's the food at? Where's, uh, where's, the, where's the drink at? And, and Jesus says, it's, it's me. It's me. It's, it's, it's me. And, and then he goes on and he takes the teaching a little further. He said, you're going to have to eat of my flesh. And you're going to have to drink of my blood. What? Can you imagine? Can you imagine in that moment? Like, this, this guy has lost his mind. You, you see, they, they couldn't understand the offensive gospel. They couldn't understand what Jesus was teaching. They couldn't understand what Jesus was preaching. Like, are, are, you, are you kidding me? And let's pick up and see what happened. John chapter 6, 65. And Jesus says, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of His disciples turned away and deserted Him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? In this moment, where where the rubber met the road, where Jesus was fully explaining the gospel and and what it meant to come after Him, what it meant to be a follower of Him, what it meant to abide in Him, what what it meant to have full satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone, the ones that were following couldn't handle it. Can you imagine seeing Jesus with your own eyes and going, no, nope, nope, not, not, not taking that message. And what we see in Scripture is those that were following Him left Him. The gospel message, when preached in entirety, will be offensive. And people will reject Jesus. People will reject Him because His message is offensive. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. 
And here was the difference maker between those that were just wanting the benefits of Jesus versus those that wanted Jesus. This is what the true disciples said. We believe. Did you catch that? And we know you are the Holy One of God. They believed in Christ and Christ alone. They believed in the full gospel of Jesus. Not just the benefits of Jesus, but Jesus. They wanted Him. So here's the question for you this morning. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Or are you only in love with the benefits of Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your life in service to King Jesus? He says, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to receive my salvation, you've got to lay down your life. You've got to deny yourself. That's offensive. You've got to take up your cross. That's offensive. And you've got to follow after me with your whole heart. Are you willing to proclaim that message? And are you willing to believe that message? So my question for you, have you trusted in the full gospel of Jesus? Being made very well known of the sin in your life and your desperate need for a Savior who is the only way. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. And we praise you for Jesus. Thank you for how the gospel offends. Its offensive nature is what draws men to you. It's what you use to call us to salvation. You make us well aware of our desperate need for a Savior. Your gospel tells us we are sinners. And without you, the only way, there is no hope. That's offensive. But God, we praise you for the way, which is Jesus. Pray for us this morning, Lord. For those of us in here that are true disciples, true followers, that we would embrace the full gospel, that we wouldn't shrink back, that we would present Jesus as he really is, that we would present the gospel as it really is. And I pray for those in this room at this very moment who have never come to you, who have never confessed their sin who have never expressed their need for a savior pray that you would move in their heart right now 
and that you would draw someone to salvation. Thank you for the greatest, most glorious, most beautiful story ever told, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask everything in his precious, holy name.